The Canterville Ghost by Oscar Wilde. The audio version performed by the Miami Radio Players. The next day, the ghost was very weak and tired. His nerves were completely shattered, and for five days, he kept to his room. I shall give up the point of the bloodstain on the library floor. If the Otis family do not want it, they do not deserve it. The apparition is quite a different matter, and not under my control. And as it is my solemn duty to appear in the corridor once a week and to gibber from the large oriel window on the first and third Wednesday of the month, I do not see how I can honorably escape from my obligations. However, I shall remove my boots, tread lightly on the floorboards, and wear a black velvet cloak to avoid detection. If I take the whole bottle of the Rising Sun Lubricator from the room of Mr. Otis, I shall be unheard and left undisturbed. Still, in spite of everything, he was not left unmolested. Strings were continually being stretched across the corridor, over which he tripped in the dark. And on one occasion, while dressed for the part of Black Isaac, the huntsman of Hogley Woods, he met with a severe fall through treading on a butter slide constructed by the twins from the entrance of the tapestry chamber to the top of the oak staircase. This last insult so enraged him that he made one final effort to assert his dignity and frighten the two boys with his celebrated character of reckless Rupert the Headless Earl, a disguise that took three hours to prepare. And although his boots were a little too large for him, he was able to glide out and reach the room occupied by the twins. On finding the door just ajar, and wishing to make an effective entrance, he flung it wide open, when a heavy jug of water fell right down on him, wetting him to the skin. <laughs> the shock to his nervous system was so great that he fled back to his room as hard as he could go, and the next day he was laid up with severe cold. <laughs> The final blow occurred on the 19th of September when he was dressed as the corpse snatcher of Chertsey Barn. It was a quarter past two o'clock in the morning and he was sure he would be unmolested and he strolled toward the library floor to see if there were any traces left of his bloodstain. Ooh. Ah! Ah, how do you like that wetting from the garden hose in my hand? Take that! Hemmed in by his enemies on every side, he vanished into the great iron stove, which fortunately for him was not lit, and had to make his way home through the chimneys, arriving at his own room in a terrible state of dirt, disorder, and despair. After this, he was not seen again on any nocturnal expedition. From now on, the twins will desist from strewing the passages with nutshells. Is that understood? I have informed Lord Canterville that the ghost has gone away and has expressed his great pleasure at the news. 
and sent you, my dear, his best congratulations. I shall now organize a clam bake and invite the young Duke of Cheshire so we may meet Virginia again. And indeed, it was a wonderful clam bake which amazed the whole county. <laughs> a few days after this, Virginia and her curly-haired cavalier, the Duke of Cheshire, went out riding on Brockley Meadows, where she tore her habit so badly in going through a hedge that on her return home she went up the back stairs so as not to be seen. As she ran past the tapestry chamber, she fancied she saw her mother's maid inside and looked in to ask her to mend her habit. To her immense surprise, it was the Canterville ghost himself. He was sitting by the window, watching the ruined gold of the yellow trees fly through the air and the red leaves dancing madly down the long avenue. His whole attitude was one of extreme depression, and indeed so forlorn that little Virginia, whose first idea had been to run away, was filled with pity and determined to try and comfort him. So light was her footfall and so deep his melancholy that he was not aware of her presence until she spoke to him. I am so sorry for you, but my brother's are going back to Eton tomorrow, and then, if you behave yourself, no one will annoy you. It is absurd to ask me to behave myself. Quite absurd. I must rattle my chains, and groan through keyholes, and walk about at night. It is my only reason for existing. It is no reason at all for existing. And you know, you have been very wicked. Mrs. Umney told us the first day we arrived here that you had killed your wife. Well, I quite admit it, but it was a purely family matter and concerned no one else. It is very wrong to kill anyone. Oh, I hate the cheap severity of abstract ethics. My wife was very plain, never had my ruffs properly starched, and knew nothing about cookery. However... It is of no matter now, for it is all over, and I don't think it was very nice of her brothers to starve me to death, though I did kill her. Starve you to death? Oh, Mr. Ghost, I mean Sir Simon, are you hungry? I have a sandwich in my case. Would you like it? No, thank you. I never eat anything now. But it is very kind of you all the same, and you are much nicer than the Rest of your horrid, rude, vulgar, and dishonest family. Stop! It is you who are rude and horrid and vulgar. And as for dishonesty, you know you stole the paints out of my box to try and furbish that ridiculous bloodstain in the library. I never told you, though I was very much annoyed. And it was most ridiculous, the whole thing. For whoever heard of emerald green blood? Well, really... What was I to do? It is a very difficult thing to get real blood nowadays. And as your brother began it all with his Paragon detergent, I certainly saw no reason why I should not have your paints. As for color, well, that is always a matter of taste. The Cantervilles have blue blood. But I know you Americans don't care for things of this kind. You know nothing about it. And the best thing you can do is emigrate and improve your mind. My father will be only too happy to give you a free passage. I know lots of people there who would give $100,000 to have a grandfather. 
and much more than that, to have a family ghost. I don't think I should like America. I suppose because we have no ruins and no curiosities. No curiosities? You have your manners. Good evening. I will go and ask Papa to get the twins an extra week's holiday. Please don't go. I am so lonely and so unhappy. I really don't know what to do. I want to go to sleep, and I cannot. That's quite absurd. You have merely to go to bed and blow out the candle. It is very difficult sometimes to keep awake, especially in church. But there is no difficulty at all about sleeping. Why, even babies know how to do that, and they're not very clever. For three hundred years I have not slept, and I am so tired. Poor, poor ghost. Have you no place where you can sleep? Far away beyond the pine woods, there is a little garden. There the grass grows long and deep. There are the great white stars of the hemlock flower. There the nightingale sings all night long. You mean the Garden of Death? Yes, death. Death must be so beautiful to lie in the soft brown earth with the grasses waving above one's head and to listen to silence, to have no yesterday and no tomorrow, to forget time, to forgive life, to be at peace. You can help me. You can open for me the portals of death's house. For love is always with you, and love is stronger than death is. A cold shudder ran through Virginia, and for a few moments there was silence. She felt she was in a terrible dream. Have you ever read the old prophecy on the library window? Oh, often. I know it quite well. It is painted in curious black letters and difficult to read. When a golden girl can win prayer from out the lips of sin, when the barren almond bears and a child give way its tears, then shall all the house be still and peace come to Cannerville. But I don't know what they mean. They mean that you must weep for my sins because I have no tears and pray with me for my soul because I have no faith. And then, if you have always been good and gentle, the angel of death will have mercy on me. You will see fearful shapes in the darkness, and wicked voices will whisper in your ear. But they will not harm you, for against the purity of a child, the powers of hell cannot prevail. Virginia made no answer, and the ghost wrung his hands in wild despair as he looked at her bowed head. Suddenly. She stood up, very pale, and with a strange light in her eyes. I am not afraid, and I will ask the angel to have mercy on you. Thank you. Thank you. The ghost rose from his seat with a faint cry of joy, and taking her hand, bent over it with old-fashioned grace and kissed it. 
His fingers were cold as ice, and his lips burned like fire. But Virginia did not falter as he led her across the dusky room. On a faded green tapestry, the tiny, broidered huntsmen blew their tasseled horns and waved their tiny hands. Go back, little Virginia, go back! Horrible animals with lizard tails and goggle eyes blinked at her from the carved chimney piece. Beware, little Virginia, beware. We may never see you again. When she reached the end of the room, the ghost muttered some words she could not understand and she saw the wall slowly fading away like a mist and a great black cavern in front of her. A bitter, cold wind swept around them. She felt something pulling at her dress. Quick, quick, or it will be too late. In a moment, the wainscoting had closed behind them, and the tapestry chamber was empty. <laughs> 